May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Last weekend I had the privilege and honour of taking the marriage service of my niece and her now husband. And the older I get and the more weddings I attend, it never fails to amaze me what memorable events these weddings are. As the uncle of the bride, it meant that I was at the epicentre of all the arrangements and witnessed the times when the best laid plans of bride and bride's mother did not work according to the great plan. For instance, take the wedding dress. Spectacular as it was, my niece, for reasons best known to herself, did not try the dress on until 24 hours before the wedding. Though it had come back from the dressmaker a week before. By your smiles, I guess you've realized that something big happened. It did not fit. And for reasons the dressmaker also only knows, she had not taken off the required inches, and so the dress was still one and a half inches too long which meant that my niece had to hold the dress up with both hands in order to walk, which, of course, doesn't work if you have a bouquet in one and a father in the other. A new dressmaker was found that afternoon, and between the bride's mother and the dressmaker, the inch and a half was taken off, and that evening the dress was brought back complete as it should have been a week before. My niece looks stunning, but of course I would say that, wouldn't I? But as I prepared this week for this address, my mind went back to the atmosphere in the house when my niece tried on the dress. You can imagine the panic and the anguish that we all had to try and help to support. And in some ways, that feeling is some of the things that we see in the reading that I have just read for our gospel today. So for me, there are two great truths that I would like us to spend just a few minutes reflecting on. The great effort in searching and the great joy in finding. Come back with me to the first of the parables, the lost sheep you see, one of the great revelations to me in this passage is that Jesus told a story of everyday events. But as he told it, he dropped what was a huge bomb into the teaching of the Pharisees and scribes of the day. He was sitting and eating and associating with sinners. And he does so, he then tells them that God is not a God who we go to, but a God who is active in seeking the lost and goes to great and extravagant lengths to find us. In the second parable, Jesus changes the gender and the setting, but with no less power to the healer and to the hearer. He shows the love of God for the lost and for the sinful. The coin that was lost would have been equal to a day's wages, or it could have been part of a lady's diary, or it could have been part of her life savings. Whichever, it's lost in a dark house, 
And so it takes a light and a great deal of searching. Every corner is looked into. Not one piece of furniture is left in its place until the coin is found. One of the privilege of being the chaplain at St. Luke's Hospice is that I am with people who face death and look at what is the meaning of life. And they often look at what is to, the meaning of what is to come as well. Often it is in the unspoken. Sometimes it comes out in putting the practical relator, things of life and death in place. Sometimes it's putting things right that have caused offence to others or to themselves. Often the things of life are looked at through the prism of death. And for some that's very uncomfortable. For others it's a welcome relief, a freedom from what is happening and suffering. It was Woody Allen, the comedian, who once said of death, Death? I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. For me, the fear of what it means needs to be looked at, not through the prism of death, but through the prism of life and faith. For the power of these parables is that God comes looking for you and for me. And over many years, this has been summed up in a little postcard of the picture that was given to me as a choir boy and a server in a small village church in Norfolk, the very same church that I took my niece's wedding in. It was given to me by the then Bishop of Norwich, Maurice Wood, who came to take a service in the church. It is the Holman Hunt picture with those familiar words from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The picture hangs, of course, in St. Paul's Cathedral. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to them and will eat with them, and they with me. If you know the picture, Jesus is standing in the dark with a lamp. He is knocking on an overgrown and almost unseen door. He cannot enter unless the occupant opens the door, as there is no handle on the outside for him to use. It is a total and wholehearted action of the person on the inside who has to open the door. It is only you or I that can do that. But it is God's initiative to begin the knocking. I well remember a patient we had to stay in the hospice who I'll call Jen. She came to the hospice after what had only been a short diagnosis and her disease was very progressive. On her first Sunday with us, she came to the service in the chapel in the afternoon, and afterwards we talked together. She had so many questions that she needed answering, and so we started to look at them one by one. After a few of them, I said to her, do you want all of your questions answered? I went on to say that it was God who was actually coming to her and that all she needed to do at this stage in her life was to have some faith. Faith that would help her, even if she was only holding on by her fingernails. But she would never get the answers to all her questions. You could see something visibly lift from her soul. 
You could see it in her face. It was as though, like the woman who had lost the coin, she'd been turning in her mind upside down, looking for what was there, but she couldn't quite find it. Her face seemed to say that now she had found it. When she laid aside all the questions, she was able to see God and to hear him knocking on the door of her life. As each of us comes to this communion rail today, either to receive a blessing or bread and wine, we lay ourselves open to being touched by God, our Heavenly Father, who wants to continue to fill us and renew us and to give us victory over life and all that it throws at us. But also, as the reading says very forcibly, to forgive us our sins. So if that's the great effort in searching, briefly let's look at what the great joy in finding is. For if you look at the reactions of the shepherd and the woman, it involves other people and much celebration. I well remember going to see a patient who I'll call Anne. She and her husband were in bed just sitting there. They weren't talking. And I thought that they had had an argument. And as I got near to them, I asked them if they were okay, because they were very quiet. Whereupon the husband smiled to me and said, Oh yes, we're okay. We just love to sit and breathe each other's air. I've often thought that that's a great picture of what marriage is all about. But as I thought of it in relation to this passage, I soon realized it's a great picture of what being a Christian is. It's being someone who is content to be with God, to let him find us, and for us to be together, and just be in each other's presence. And as we see what great joy that brings to the angels, as the parable of the lost coin says. So how does that work out in a church in, 19, in 2019, in a culture that seems so divided at the moment, whether on the national stage or even in our own lives? Well, in everything that we do, we seek to do it with the sure knowledge that our role is to see God in all people and all situations that we come across. It should be our aim to look and to work with all those who do not know the love of God and what it looks like. And it is in rejoicing when someone opens the door of their life and asks Jesus to come in and to seek his forgiveness. In conclusion, let me introduce you to Keith. Keith came to the inpatient centre on two occasions in the hospice. Each time he arrived even more anxious and fretful than the time he did before. It was always about his illness, his symptoms, his home setting. Anything that he could worry about, he did. I would describe Keith, though, as a very rough diamond. You never quite knew what you would find when you went to, receive, uh, to see him or how he would receive you. On occasions, he would tell you to go away in very colourful language, other times he would tell you to go and get a cup of coffee, sit down and have a chat. On one of my visits, he'd been writing some things down, and I thought he'd written a great long list, but all he had written it was this. 
It is true love that transcends my fear of dying. And then underneath it, he'd written in bigger letters, to be continued. Keith explained that it was in the love that he had seen in the people around him that had helped him to feel a little less anxious and fretful. He smiled and said that it was even at this stage in his life it was possible even for him to be less anxious and to change what was a habit of a lifetime. It is love that transcends my fear of dying to be continued. So I hope you are not going to be like my niece and leave everything to the last moment. It's my prayer that today you will hear God knocking on your door of your life and that you will open and you will find him there waiting for you. Let those words of Keith, let his love trans all, transcend all our fears to be continued. Amen.